Welcome to a Queer Companion Podcast. My name is M. I'm an unbinary witch, sex worker, and raver. How are you all doing? Last time that I recorded, things were still very much in flux. I mean, they always are, but um, yeah, lockdown had just ended and there was a lot of uh, chaotic energy around that, getting back into a somewhat normal life. So I feel a lot more grounded now after this little summer break from the podcast and also just going back out there into the world, seeing people doing things. And um, yeah, I feel like life after the pandemic is possible. (laughs) I know it's not over, but um, there seems to be something else coming finally. So that's very good to know. So that also put me into the position of asking myself what to do with this podcast. So I think this will not be a regular thing anymore because it was very much of a lockdown project. But I also just happened to become friends with Iz, who I'm talking with today. And I really wanted to have a conversation with them about astrology because they're a huge astrology nerd and have so much knowledge around it and uh, gave me a reading and it got me really interested and I just really wanted them on the podcast. So whenever I'm running into uh, super interesting people like that, I will um, revisit the podcast to bring you a hopefully interesting episode. And today I think This is a really killer episode. I'm super happy with it. Um, We're going deep into some super interesting stuff. So if you've always wanted to know more about astrology, then this is your episode. And I hope you enjoy it. Hey, Iz, how are you doing? Hey, Masha. Thank you. Um, I'm doing really good. Um, yeah, thank you. Thank you for inviting me on your podcast. I am thrilled to be here and astrologizing with you today. <laughs> yeah, I love that, astrologizing. <laughs> yes, it is a practice. It is a verb. Yes. <laughs> so uh, where are you astrologizing from today? Where are you right now? I am based in Europe and more precisely in Belgium. And I think it's very important to also state the day and the date uh, from which we're doing the recording from is that today we are Monday, 23rd of August, and it is 7, 12 p.m. And the reason I'm doing this to like record the date each time is also to give us a notion of where we are in terms of time and space in the moment of connecting to the stars and the planets, because they do change movements constantly we are in constant movement with the universe and the cosmos and this just give us a little time stamp yes and uh 23 is my favorite number and uh it was a full moon yesterday so i feel like uh we're in a very good 
cosmic place right now. <laughs> we are, yes, I do feel that too. And I remember sharing with you as the moon was waxing into its full moon in Aquarius that it felt like a second chance, like because we have the second time in a row a full moon in Aquarius. So it was a full moon in Aquarius in July and it is again now in August. And it came intuitively to me. And when a message comes intuitively, I feel like I should be sharing it because it comes from somewhere that is not from within my brain, but from within my guts. And it does feel to me like a second shot that whatever we put our minds and hearts to last month or maybe in the last couple of months that didn't quite work out yet, that isn't new we get a second shot at. It's just like a new, yeah, energies come back for us to use. And yeah. That's good. Second chances are good. It's like a, <laughs> like a karmic wheel or something. Maybe mm -hmm. I'm feeling the, the karmic wheel a lot at the moment. And uh, it's, it's kind of hardcore sometimes, to be honest. <laughs> it's kind of like a slap in the face <laughs> <laughs> now i'm imagining a comic wheel with slaps but um it is i love that it is a beautiful way of looking at it just the wheel and or the wheel of fortune as we see it in tarot as well and also in astrology but um yeah i feel now that in regards to astrology like we call like we talk a lot about the Saturn return. The Saturn return is when we are falling into 28, between 28 and 31 years old, is when Saturn has completed a full turn around our chart and returns to its natal position. And it happens every 30 years because Saturn takes a lot of time to turn around the sun. And I feel that since I have completed that Saturn initiative and that life initiative that I feel so much more grounded in life and in who I am and who I wish to be and that in regards to that wheel um, that I go deeper into topics, I go deeper into areas of life that were very significant to me and astrology is one of them actually. That is so interesting. I love thinking about Saturn return because it did so much for me. And also the narrative was really helpful for me to understand like, why the hell is everything like falling apart right now? Yes, yes, <laughs> exactly. Falling apart. <laughs> it was really intense. Um, so you got into astrology again in your Saturn return or were you into it before that? Um, let's say both. So what I like to say is that I came into astrology through astronomy. So as a kid, I was very, very passionate about the sky and the stars and the planets, the solar system. And I was looking at the stars like every night. I was lucky enough to be in the countryside of my natal homeland, just a very small place. Uh, but I could see the sky occasionally when there are no clouds. And uh, uh, I would borrow my dad's binoculars. I would, I would ask, okay, what are those constellations? What am I looking at? What is, what is that star? And usually I was looking at Venus or at the Northern Star 
like the most luminous. I mean, one is a luminary as a planet, Venus. The other one, the northern star, is just a very bright star that we have in the sky right now in our era. And I was so fascinated and passionate about it that I think with eight years old, I joined the local astronomy club of my hometown and I would go in every month and take notes and follow everything. I was the youngest member, of course. I was eight. Everyone else was like 50. And, <laughs> and I would really have like my notebook and, you know, learn to write notes as I was doing at school about things. And my dad would like sometimes come with me or drop me off. It was just very close. And I would go with them on observation nights. So they would have telescopes and I would learn how to manipulate them and look at the nearest galaxies of Andromeda or at the constellations that I really liked or at bi-solar systems that were closest to us and just watching at different stars and of different colors or sometimes there were planets, especially during summertime, um, I think it was, I mean, I was so young, maybe it was like 95 or something, but I do remember watching Jupiter. I do remember watching other things I forgot about, actually. But I had my star map and I would study it and I knew, and I still know the sky today. I can look it up and I know the constellations. So this is how my relationship to the stars began very early on. And I wanted to become an astronaut, but that dream didn't quite go into fulfillment because I am really bad at mathematics and physics. But I did really hold on to that dream till I was like 14, I think. And then I guess magic and Hogwarts and all those sort of things took a major part in my life. And it became so much more obvious that I was drawn to the arts and to linguistics and to to magic and um yeah i i had a few runs into astrology through the years but i think it's more towards actually during the start of my saturn return i met a wonderful human being who was just as high as i was just like not really touching the ground and um it was an occasion it was an opportunity for me when i met this person to reconnect to my spiritual self that I had very long neglected, neglected, and that was also very suppressed. Um, I was very connected to my spirituality as as a younger child, as I was going through trauma and grief, and then I met people that I let into my life that suppressed my spirituality, who told me that it was bullshit, that it didn't exist, and I believed them. To some extent, I believed them or I suppressed that part of me and I I didn't let myself acknowledge what an importance it had to me or I didn't speak about it. But when I turned, I think, 27, 28, and I met another human being who was just as connected as I was, I started to remember what it was that I loved about divination, about magic, about numerology, and then about astrology. And that's when I dived very deep into it. And it also coerced with a very important moment in my life um, that I wanted to share about in this podcast is also that 
I had a very, very deep need to connect to astrology at that time because I was at the bedside of my grandmother who was who was dying, who was leaving the body. And I used every skill set, all the tools that I had with me that I had collected in the past, whether it was through Vipassana meditation, through Buddhism, to chanting mantras, mantras, to having stones in my hands and to praying and to lighting candles and to be at her bedside all along and, and holding her hand. It was such a beautiful, magical moment. But at the same time, it also meant that my last person, my last ascendant in my family was leaving the body. And I always knew that moment would happen. I just didn't know when. And it did shift my life around because I am an orphan. And to me, astrology came also as a deep need for healing, for healing from trauma, of looking into a tool, into a divination of some sort that could help me just as much as religion helps other people to go through very difficult moments in their lives. So to me, astrology came into my life from a place of deep trauma and grief because when you lose a loved one, and you lose loved ones many times, every time someone else's pass, you do remember your ancestors and your loved ones again and again. And it's like going through that process of trauma multiple times. So it's not just once. And um, astrology helped me through that because it was a way for me to disconnect completely from reality while at the same time being completely connected because I would be connected to the universe. I would be connected to everything. I would be connected to all. But it was a non-human language to a certain extent because I would connect to it through my knowledge of astronomy and just looking at the planets as they are, just looking at them, watching the sky and maybe just inside of myself at the time, not within a spoken language, I would pray to them or I would connect to them. I would look at the sky and I would pray to my ancestors. I would pray to my mothers. I would connect to them. I would talk to them. And just believing that we are part of the same dimensions and realities, that nothing is lost, that everything is just transformed. And yeah, this is basically my story. And I feel it's important to share it because to me, my connection to whatever I call spirituality in my life doesn't come from a place of enlightenment. It comes from pain, usually. Thanks so much for sharing that story. Um, yeah, I feel you. It's it's those those moments of deep grief and trauma that um, are the most transformative ones. I, I feel you on that. Um, mm-hmm. Would you like to share a bit more on how astrology was able to? Um, provide you with a different perspective or a healing quality? Yeah, sure. Um, I think that I would like to start just with a major turning point. Uh, During my Saturn return process where everything was falling apart and also building on 
Tartus ruins my greatest empire since, let's say, a student construction. Um, I moved to, I mean, I attempted to migrate to many different places, but I eventually landed in Lisbon. And I was just back from a massage therapy course in India. So I was connecting to different forms of different ways of living and of making my life, making my living or earning a living, sorry. And when I came back from that workshop and course, I based myself in Lisbon and I met a beautiful person named Katie Emma. And Katie is an astrologer with 25 plus years of experience and knowledge. And she has an astrology school called the Temple of Cosmic Astrology. And she was one of the first person I ran into in Lisbon to some friends in common and by chance. And as soon as I learned that she was an astrologer, I was just so in awe and so happy because I always wanted an astrology reading. And we did an exchange, so I gave her two massage sessions and she gave me a reading in person. And the reading lasted about three hours, I think. And it was such a deep cosmic dive into my own chart in ways that I had never known that I didn't know existed. And it touched upon every aspect of my life it gave me a safe space to also share my story and to also listen to us because we are in a conversation. And I was so profoundly and deeply touched that I joined her classes immediately. And I was a student of hers for about six months. And um, what it allowed me is to use astrology as a tool of self-creation Again and again, the more I learn into about astrology, and today I was reading about the asteroids, for example, that give so much more details and nuances um, in our charts, in our natal charts. And to me, it very much is a tool of self-creation. It is not so much a study of fate or the future or what's going to exist it really is okay this is what I'm working with this tools are like the energies that I'm born with it's like a plant that you like a seed that you plant in a specific soil with a specific set of sunlight and and rain and temperature and to me like when we're born into this incarnation into this vessel in this body it pretty much is the same is that at the moment of my birth, the, the sky was set in a specific <laughs> in a specific way, and the, and the planets were in a specific position in in percept, like in regards to me. And I very much embrace and embody those energies that I have that are screened, printed, shot on my natal chart, and. Just looking at them has given me tools, has given me, let's say, clues in what I still need healing from, what are the assets that I already have, what are the ones that I do wish to develop a bit more. It just gives me a sense of clarity. And I guess in terms of healing specifically for me, the work has been about working with Chiron and also working with Jupiter. 
I don't know if that answers your question. I tend to delineate a little bit. No, I think it does. Um, and I, I have a question specifically about this um, yeah, relationship between uh, self-creation and free will and fate because mm -hmm. I feel like the resistance that a lot of people have to astrology and that I definitely had for a long time was that I felt that it was um, kind of putting me into a specific category that it was more limiting than freeing mm -hmm. uh, until I actually um, yeah made a, a birth chart for myself and started looking into um, like the, the whole variety of aspects and the whole yes. ways of reading it. And it's so mm -hmm. complex. <laughs> it is so complex. Um, it is yeah, so complex. How do you, how do you see um, that, that relationship between uh, co-creation and. Um, I think it, this is also what, why I'm actually using the word of co-creation and not identity, mm. because this is how I felt about astrology also for the longest period of time is that, oh, this is just like a summary of who I am, just like it's, um, and, and there's not any more, anything more to me than what is written in that chart. And this isn't actually true. Um, especially natal charts, which is still very new in the history of astrology um, that goes back millennials from, from now. Natal charts, like tailored for the individual, um, is a tool for co-creation because it is, um, I will just actually quote uh, Michael G. Morris, who is a brilliant astrologer that I listened to today. And um, they were talking about they were talking about the asteroids, um, but um, also about mythology because the astrology that I'm practicing is uh, traditional modern Western astrology or pretty much Hellenistic astrology, which goes back to the uh, Mesopotamian area, so the Greek or Roman area of our times. So all the planets and the signs that we look at have Greek and Roman names. They make sense to me because I am born in Europe and I'm from European ancestries. So those names um, of Mercury, Mars, Venus, or Zeus and Aries have been with me for most of my upbringing, so it's very easily easy for me to connect to them. Um, but all the signs and planets are connected to mythology and to Greek or Roman mythology. And Michael G. Morris was describing the mythic approach to astrology is like, what are the stories of the skies? And when we tell those stories, when I tell the stories of, for example, of Jupiter in um in terms of their Greco-Roman version or their astronomical version, or when I tell the story of Mercury, the messenger, um, when we tell two stories, there's so many potential points of associations and correlations when we are in a, a practice of consulting with a client, when an astrologer and a client do a consultation together, we are sharing, we are, we are conversing. And when we are telling the stories of mythology or of symbolism, the clients themselves can correlate making points with those stories and feeling, 
oh, maybe there are opportunities where I can relate to some of those experiences with my own experiences. And when a client does, or when I do, when reading my chart, I feel, I think most of the time, firstly, I feel validated within my own experience that, oh, it's a universal experience. If it comes from the sky, if it comes from mythology, um, it validates my own experience. And it also invites me to tell my own story, or it invites the client to share their story into that sacred space that we are creating. And um, this is the point of great healing. And this is to me where astrology is a form of divination to me overall. There is a sense of like, okay, you can kind of predict some, I mean, it is a very precise science because it is based on the movements of the planets, which are very precisely calculated. But what we make of them, the stories, the mythology, which we are constantly rewriting with new approaches and for us a queer feminist approach or decolonizing approach, um, it's very important to rewrite our own stories based on those myths. And it's just a way to to connect. And this is the way I look at it. It's just like poetry. I look at the stars and I look at Venus, which is also always visible. And I look at Venus as a symbol, as a myth. And what does it tell me about myself? And then I start my own storytelling and I start sharing my own story or asking someone else about their stories and their relationship to the planet when they look at it. And... Um, yeah, to come back to the this idea of fate and free will, uh, what is free will anyway? Um, it's such a philosophical question and I don't know what to answer because I feel that from what I understood, free will comes more from Christianity into just letting faith or maybe it comes also from other religions and just letting God deal with your faith or the side of your faith, uh, letting your faith in the hands of God. Whereas in astrology, it's like receiving a cheat sheet, as Chris Brennan mentioned in one of his podcasts on the astrology podcast. You are receiving a cheat sheet. Sorry, I cannot pronounce this. Um, you are receiving just a way to navigate this life of just understanding, okay, here are my pitfalls, here are my advantages, and how can I use that to move within the collective and to move within my relationships? And uh, I guess that's the most important point that astrology makes for me. And um, I still feel like that there is a notion of free will, but we are subject to our social, economical, political circumstances. So I guess free will is also a question of a political debate to me more than it is through astrology. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I think um, I think our day and age is obsessed with this idea of uh, an independent um, individual that can make free choices but that's not, it's not the case yeah, it's yeah the case. like um but yeah it's like this this philosophical uh idea that you know 
Um, yeah, anyways, we don't have to have to get into it in too much detail. I guess that's not really the point, but I totally understand um, what you're saying with the cheat sheet. <laughs> it's hard to pronounce. <laughs> cheat sheet. <laughs> um, and what I found too is that it's really not fixed. Like even if you, you know, even if you're looking always at the same birth chart, the way that you're reading it really depends on you. Like and mm-hmm. and how um you're looking at it why you're looking at it which is what what's your life experience right now like and what are you focusing on mm-hmm. it does, um always resonate in a different way and it's like and you can find new things in it or like perspectives shift it's not just this like one diagram of like who you are <laughs> um and uh I'm really interested in stories in general. I find those stories are are super um, important to healing and especially telling different, better stories than the ones that we are constantly constructing in our head and that our our culture is constantly constructing, even though we're not so aware of it. But it's really important to, um, yeah, tell stories that are different from that. And I'm wondering if you would like to tell us the story of Jupiter because um, <laughs> <laughs> we bonded a little over Jupiter because in my neighborhood um, there is some tagging artist who just keeps tagging the symbol of Jupiter everywhere. So I just see Jupiter, 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 Jupiter when I just go to the grocery store <laughs> or to the yoga center, um, which is quite amazing. So even to your way to the yoga center. Yeah. That's incredible. Yeah. Maybe there's a pattern. You should like tag it. And <laughs> maybe it makes a bigger Jupiter. <laughs> I think there are at least three different ones on, on the way to the one yoga mm-hmm. studio. So maybe that's like supposed to be the path that I go the most often or something. <laughs> wow. That's amazing. Yeah, I mean, I do bring up Jupiter in pretty much all my conversations lately. (laughs) (laughs) So it's no secret. um, They're my favorite planet. And it's very curious because I don't think I was really aware of Jupiter in my chart or anything before that. But when I had my first astrology reading with Katie Emma, and she practices Placidus uh, astrology. And within that like my Jupiter has a very specific placement in my chart and this is also why I relate to that planet so much or that I pray to it so much so Jupiter is at 29 degrees Taurus in my eighth house and the eighth house is associated to Pluto it is um, the home house of Pluto and also of death of infinite space of rebirth of transformation And I have a very difficult placement because it's one of the last degrees and Jupiter enhances everything that it touches. And for me, that placement, especially in Taurus, means two things. Is that my foundations, homes, belongers have been shattered. I have not only lost them, but they died. And I have so many family members that passed away. So to me, Jupiter really enhances that in the house of death. It's just that I am surrounded by death. I am surrounded by grief and it is part of my story and one that doesn't scare me anymore. 
one that I am healed with, uh, that I am comfortable with. So to me, praying to Jupiter is kind of a reassuring bond because I had another reading with another astrologer that I love so much, uh, Alice Sparkly Cat. And when they gave me that consultation, they told me, okay, this is actually more of a malefic placement in your chart, so beware. And I said, yeah, but the way it turns out for me is that also true to many deaths in Greece very early on in my life and also for the lives of my ancestors who also lost family members, loved ones and siblings very early, very young. Um, it also gave me a gift, the gift of Taurus, which is values, hard values, emotional values, the sense of security of home, um, but also in the materialistic way. So I feel that to me, like my story of Jupiter is that for whatever Jupiter touches and collapses into my life or whatever collapses into my life into death I also receive it as a gift there is a secret gift behind it there is something that I receive there is something that I grow out from and um, the way I like to relate to it is that whenever I connect to a planet I go back to astronomy this is my greatest passion is to astronomy or cosmology and I learned about the story of Jupiter from an astrom astronomical point uh, not long ago is that Jupiter at the beginning, at the birth of our solar system, when planets were still forming and just growing and finding their place in the solar system, Jupiter, who is a gas planet, which is the first gas planet in our solar system, after that comes Saturn, Uranus, Neptune, and Pluto is actually a rock. Um, Jupiter wanted to become a sun. And it's very common in our galaxy and in the universe to have bisolar systems, to have a solar system with two suns, because a planet, like a gas planet, like Jupiter, um, and I don't remember its chemical components, no, right away, but just attract has such a big mass and nuclear power inside it that it just attracts everything that is around them. And Jupiter wanted to become a sun. And when you look very closely at it, the diameters of Jupiter as a planet is very close, almost the same as a brown dwarf. A brown dwarf is a very small sun. Um, our sun is white, um, but it's very close to a brown dwarf. So we could have been in a bisolar system. But Jupiter chose, hmm, actually, I'm good like this. I want to stay a planet. I want to be the god of the planet. I want to govern everyone. I want to be the biggest, the strongest, the best, but I don't want to be the sun. There is already a sun in the galaxy and in our solar system. So Jupiter stayed a planet and functions even today, just an astronomical point uh, of view as, how do we express that? As a um, bouclier, as, as an armor, it protects us from the interstellar space. It protects Earth from so much that happens in space because space is not a peaceful place. There is a lot happening there that is very dangerous. So many meteorites and other things that are comets that could actually collide with Earth 
and bring us to extinction, which isn't actually funny because it happened already many, many times. And there is one theory which says that the meteor that collided with Earth in the times of the dinosaurs and brought the dinosaurs into extinction is a meteor that Jupiter projected into Earth when it was still growing in mass. Uh, but when Jupiter stopped, all the little crumbs that were left from all the rocks that collided into its um, gravitational force that all those little breadcrumbs became the Kuiper belt. The Kuiper belt is a gigantic belt of asteroids between Mars and Jupiter. And I think there's like a million asteroids and about 20,000 of them which have names and even fewer of them that we work with in astrology. Um, but what the Kuiper belt does, it's really protecting us from a lot of disasters because it just, um, how do you say that? It just um, attracts every other meteor which would collide with our solar system. It just um, attracts that, attracts them into their gravitational belt and protects us. So Jupiter, who is the patriarch of the sky, let's not forget that. They're the greatest, they're the biggest. They want everything and um, they really stand for capital and for power, but they're also a karmic gift. They are protectors. They protect us from everything and everything it touches, it makes it bigger. So I also see for myself Jupiter as a gift and also because of its particular placement in my chart and also because I can see Jupiter with the naked eye Jupiter is a planet that I pray to, that I celebrate, that I need to stay connected to, that I need to keep an eye on. And because of its story and astronomy, but also because of their particular placement in my chart and my life story with what it means. So interesting. I love how, um, how planets have their own stories. I haven't thought about that so much. Um, apart from the moon, um, mm -hmm. which I relate to very naturally, and I think a lot of a lot of um, people, even in the West, still do. Yes, um, it is so important because, like, the moon is probably what we can connect the most to because the moon is with us, let's say, every night almost, <laughs> and. We can understand the influence on the moon on Earth so perfectly. So why not try and understand every planet? Mm, yeah. Totally. yeah. Yeah. Um, so when you say that uh, Jupiter is the patriarch of the sky, yeah. Um, there's a little bit of gendering in there. <laughs> so there is. There is, and it's. Um, it's very hard for me um, to be reading about this right now, but I, I have to read about it from the perspective, let's say, first of the Greeks and the Romans, so Jupiter or Zeus. Zeus. So in mythology, they have... I don't know very much about the mythology of Jupiter yet, but in the Greek or Roman mythology, Jupiter 
stood for war, stood for capital, stood for power. And I say the patriarch of the sky because this is very much how it's being written. And um, I don't have my own narrative or rewrites about Jupiter at this time, uh, but I hear you. It's very difficult because every planet has been gendered except Mercury, who apparently is gender fluid and andro androgynous. And some asteroids are also androgynous and fluid, but very much everyone else has been gendered female or male, which I find very funny because when I look at pictures, I'm like, how is that? A male or a female. <laughs> It's a planet. <laughs> and it doesn't have gender. And um, yeah. So I, I I try to stay away from that every time. Like now that I have this, this queer understanding that I have queer astrologers that I can look up to and read from, I stay away from every text or books that I see that are still very recent where I read female or male or gender or sacred feminine, sacred masculine, because it just really repulses me a little bit because it makes no sense to me in regards, to, in regards to the planets, at least. Yeah, no, totally. <laughs> It's like I don't see the gender in the sky and I don't. It's also different, at least with the sun and the moon, um, it's also different. It depends on the language, how they're gendered, which is also mm -hmm. I think German is one of the few languages where the sun is actually female and the moon is male. That um, is very true, yeah. And yeah, Most other languages, the other way around. So. Or they're not gendered at all, which would make a lot of sense. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and it's such a question of duality as well. Um, Yeah, because, yeah, I feel there is, you know, I, I did this exercise the other day, um, again, again with my, I mean, I'm a fan it's, uh, of Alice Sparkly Cat, but I did a webinar with them about the et etymology of the sun. And one of the exercises we had, you know, we had to do journaling prompts was about the sun And it was, we were, they were talking about light because the sun is light. And I will just read to you what, what I wrote down, what the exercise was. And maybe that could be an exercise for the people who are listening, knowing that each question takes about like seven to 10 minutes to like write about without interruption. Uh, the first question was, um, Can you talk about the sun as archetype? Um, okay, maybe we can, sorry. Can we cut this part out? <laughs> um, I don't edit just okay, because it's okay, like a practice okay. and radical okay, um, okay, okay. honesty and imperfection. But okay, okay. Leave it in there like this. That's totally fine. Because I am, I am reading from my notes, which you yeah. know, sometimes when you just write very quickly, <laughs> your sentences don't make sense. <laughs> um, so I'm just going to jump to the second one, uh, which was about every, you know, every sentence that you write has to start by "I remember," and it's all in correlation to light and to the sun. The first question is: In what places do you have control over lighting to be seen or unseen? 
and you have to start with I remember. The second question was, in what places do you not have control over lighting? How does control or lack of control over lighting affect your ability to create yourself? And I don't know, I guess that when I did this exercise, thinking about the sun, I related to the sun in such a different way than I did before. And I realized that my lack of control over the sun rising and setting is also, I don't know, like really provokes a lot of anxieties for me mm. or like a place where I could be in control of the lighting or that I feel free are, for example, rays and dance floor. Every time that it is night, every time the sun sets, every time I'm in the darkness, I feel that I have freedom, that I am being seen or that I'm not being seen, but I'm being seen as who I am, that I am free from... Um, gender-conforming societies, for example. And I very much connect to the moon in those instances. And I find, I don't know, every time I think about those exercises, I, I hear myself back just actually connecting to both the sun and the moon, um, which are both the luminaries of our sky. And I forgot what we were talking about, but um, I think, yeah, we were talking about the gender of like, Why do we associate the sun or Mars, for example, to a masculine archetype where we connect Venus and the moon to a feminine archetype? And I wonder what you think about that, actually. Dual thinking. <laughs> People are obsessed with it. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, and so... Uh, For the people who are listening, uh, Iz and I are in a reading circle together, a witchy reading circle, and we discuss these topics a lot. Um, when does gendering come in and where does it make sense and where can we develop a different vocabulary? Because it, it really doesn't even like say so much if you say this is masculine energy, then it's like, what does that even mean? And, and then especially if it's a planet, like what does it mean that Mars is supposed to have masculine energy? Like I simply don't really understand. Like I could like guess that it's a very like phallic energy, but does that mean that, I don't know, it's so confusing. I'm just, mm -hmm. <laughs> I feel like I'm so far away from from these like dual understandings of gender that for me, like it doesn't even make sense anymore to talk in those kinds of ways. Um so I'm also thinking about it because astrology has become such a queer practice. Um, like what are ways to have better language around it and have it like invite a more non-dual perspective, I guess. Um, did, did you find any ways for your own practice? I did. And um, I was very lucky like two years ago Thanks again to my first mentor, Katie Emma. Um, she, she recommended to me a YouTube channel by OGC Olivia from OGC Astrology. And I really loved their urban fire type of energy. Um, and I connected and I subscribed to their Patreon. And I was pretty much studying astrology every day with them. And I just later on learned that they identified queer 
And it made so much sense to me because I could resonate with the language all along without having any moment where I would itch or cringe because they were not using that vocabulary because it didn't apply to them. I didn't apply to their astrology practice and teachings. And I was so devoted to finding similar astrologers that I kept asking around around me to, to other witches, okay, who do you listen to? What podcast can you recommend me? And again, I was faced with this by with this binary way of of looking at the planets and astrology and i i didn't it made no sense to me so out of rage out of a scream i typed on youtube non-binary astrology and there it came up like the first on my search there was a seminar coming up that weekend about non-binary astrology if astrology is language whose language is it that was the title of the seminar <laughs> And I enrolled. <laughs> I was like, yes, yes, it exists. It is there. And that seminar was organized was organized by Fresh Voices in Astrology, to which I gave a very big shout out because um, they've given me a scholarship for the year. So it's helped me enormously in my practice and also in my financial situation, living situation, which has been very, very, very bad this year. So this has allowed me to access classes that otherwise I wouldn't have been able to access. So, and in Fresh Voices, they promote mainly cutie puck uh, voices and people and astrologers. Um, it's always intersectional. It's um, inclusive it is very queer and i have found most of the astrologers that i follow today i found them through them i found them through the summit that they organize every year and it has profoundly affected me changed me healed me and helped me and supported me as a queer identifying person um the advice that I would give to other people that also identify queer or identify other under under umbrellas or minorities is to find astrologers that resonate with you, that probably share the same identities. It is so crucial, it is key, because the narrative is gonna be different, the choice of word is gonna be different. And this is how we rewrite history because. Of course, it's dated. It's from millennia ago. It dates back to the Roman Empire when women were not involved, were not the ones writing, were not the ones talked about. So we were not written into the myth or the symbolism the same way that we might be today, which is why that queer practice of astrology is so key because we need to rewrite history. We need to rewrite those texts and to update them as they have been all along. And yeah. Yeah, so important. I feel like that too. And I also, um, I mean, I don't know so much about astrology, but it seems like there is a big shift happening right now, generally mm -hmm. when it comes to more inclusive language, also in the spiritual uh, communities. Um and it's it's made it a lot more accessible and, and attractive for me. 
Um, I'm quite proud, I have to say, um, of the term that we found in the reading group, which was divine infinity instead of mm -hmm. divine masculine or divine feminine. For me, that works so well. Yeah. Divine infinity. Yeah. Because it can mean so many things yeah. and it's got a symbolism attached to it already. And yeah. Do you do personal readings at the moment? I do. So I have a website, which I created about a year ago, kind of unintentionally and intentionally at the same time, because I was doing, let's say, client reading for my friends and the friends of my friends. And then they started asking more questions and I wrote a text and I just decided to publish it. And then it became a website. It's called magicwithizzy.weebly.com. And I started out by doing audio recordings because I was very shy and scared <laughs> to like do live consultations. But I would say that I open my books now again for consultations and I work on donation basis or sliding scale. So it's very open and accessible and I work with everyone pretty much who resonates maybe with my approach to astrology within a 5D and evolutionary astrology framework as well. Yeah, you should all get a reading from Is. I got one. Yeah, you were actually one of the first person I did a consultation with, a live consultation. Oh, really? Um, I, yes, you were. <laughs> <laughs> like I did practice before, like in person with friends, um, the consultation in itself, but it's such like a different approach. And I love it so much because it's a conversation. Um, what did you think of it? And what were your impressions on receiving a reading? I thought it was really nice that you were so open to feedback or you were asking me, like, is this resonating with you? Mm -hmm. um, it wasn't at all just like, you know, slap it on the table and this is the way it is. <laughs> yeah, because it's not. Yeah, yeah. you're fighting me a lot. Because like, <laughs> what do I know? It's your story. It's your experience. <laughs> it's your life. Yeah. And I can only give suggestions and quotes, you know. And yeah. Yeah, and I felt like we got to talk about a few aspects, but I think we talked for 90 minutes or so, but there was yeah. so much more where I was like, wow, I really want to look into this and I really want to look mm -hmm. into that. And like, yeah, it's it's wild just how complex it is. Um, and I, I really like that. And yeah, I feel like a birth chart is something to always come back to, like every situation It happens like I always come back to the tarot cards like that's like mm -hmm. my uh, primary language but it's always like you can always look at it from a different angle and like look at it again and then look at some other I don't know maybe today you're looking at the trines but tomorrow you're looking at the squares or something like I'm just like learning about all of these things and I'm really <laughs> <laughs> I just really didn't know how it never it stops it never stops <laughs> <laughs> this is also what makes it so magical because it's it's endless just like the universe itself mm. yeah Yeah, and I really like the idea of of developing more of a connection to the planets. Um, like, I, I mean, I feel very like um, secure in my my connection with the moon and the sun because mm -hmm. they're just like the ones who were 
very immediate for me and then venus came up but now i'm also really interested in jupiter because also like i'm seeing the jupiter symbol everywhere yeah and it's then, circling you <laughs> it's like they're calling my name or something mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah Yeah, especially I feel like the planets that are closest to us, so like the Earthen planets, so Mercury, Venus, uh, and Mars actually, uh, and the Moon as, as as not a stellar object, are the easiest to connect to. Also because we can see them with the naked eye, mm. and they have the greatest influence on Earth. So, and they're the first ones that were discovered and watched by the early humans at the beginning of humanity. So, yeah, you definitely should look into it and see how you feel about it. I will, yeah. Is there anything else that you would like to say or add to this conversation? Uh, I'm going to have a look because I did make some notes mm -hmm. and... Um, Um, yeah, I just wanted to give out some references for people who are listening is that the people that have helped me a lot on my journey, especially in the past two years to delving more into astrology and doing that also for free, you know, like it's just online resources. Uh, it's been by listening to the astrology podcast on YouTube by Chris Brennan also recently released a book uh, called Hellenistic Astrology, The History of Fate and Fortune. Um, then there is Michael G. Morris, who is a witch and also a queer astrologer and offers, oh my God, um, they're so academic in their approach, so knowledgeable and so sweet and tender. I adore them so much. There is also Alice Paklikat, who released a book called Postcolonial Astrology, which I recommend so much because it's one of those books that I think we're going to see more of in the future, which is about exactly that. It's about rewriting or offering new perspectives about astrology in, in, in our times, in like now, and also addressing restorative justice. And also Sabrina Monarch. Uh, Sabrina Monarch is a teacher and astrologer. She also has a podcast called Magic of the Spheres. She is an evolutionary astrologer. So she focuses on the lunar nodes and their aspects to the planets and their aspects also specifically to the outer planets of the solar system, namely Uranus, Neptune, and Pluto. And evolutionary astrology is really more of a divination and a way of healing soul wounds and finding out our life path in this incarnation. Uh, Stephen Forrest is also an evolutionary astrologer who has released many, many, many books. Uh, all of them are great. And yeah, I guess this is it, just to like give out my references. And I do recommend all of these people and also my own mentor, Katie Emma. Thank you. Um, I will put those in the show notes too, just to make sure I'll ask you for uh, for all of the references. Yeah, sure. So that people can also read it. Yeah. 
All right. Thank you wow. so much for this conversation. Is welcome. Thank you so much. This was my first podcast ever. So Amazing. thank you for getting a proper mic. I love that. People I love it. <laughs> we can do more. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thank you so much. And I look forward to reconnecting with you and astrologizing together again on a later journey. And also for everyone interested in a reading, do reach out to me. I would be very, very happy to do a reading with you. Yes, I can recommend them a lot. <laughs> All right. Take care. Is. Bye. Take care. Bye. So there you go. I hope that was interesting for you. I hope it inspired you to gaze at the stars tonight and wonder what they're up to. Maybe have a look at your own birth chart or have somebody else like is do that for you. And uh, if you have any questions or comments, you can always email me to queercompanionpodcast at gmail.com. I will talk to you soon ish maybe hopefully probably take good care